Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. This podcast is a bar crawl around America to find out what real people around the country are saying about hot political issues and culture. I'm David Kochel, longtime political consultant and veteran of six presidential campaigns. And I'm Rob Stutzman, political consultant based in California, once worked for a governor named Schwarzenegger, but more than that, Kochel and I are best friends and have drank together in a lot of bars across this glorious country. More than I can count. That's right, Rob. Each week, we'll interview a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons and therefore the pulse of America, real America. When Kochel and I fly into a city to work and we want to know what's on people's minds about politics, culture, and pocketbooks, we do the only sensible thing and find a bartender. And to kick things off, we'll find out what drink the locals are ordering, get the recipe, and knock back a few while we chat with our guest. You can find the recipe for each week's cocktail in the show notes. And I can tell you, some of these will be amazing. If you decide to make this week's signature cocktail at home, please share a pic on Instagram or tweet about it with the hashtag HighballPodcast. And if you're a bartender or you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at HighballPolitics at gmail.com with the name of the bartender in the bar and why they'd be perfect for our show. Today, we're talking with John Whitaker, who bartends at Cinderblock Brewery in North Kansas City, Missouri. But before we chat with John, let's get a bit of context on what's been going on in the news and why Missouri is important right now to what's going on in America. Well, Rob, as an Iowan just north of Missouri, I've paid attention to Missouri politics for a long time, and it's a state that's really changed along with other Midwestern states, and particularly upper Midwestern states. You know, it's a state that Clinton won twice in the 90s, and then Bush won it in 2000 by three, then by seven. McCain, who had a close race with Obama, they were won by less than half a point. But then you go to Romney, wins by nine. Trump by 19 over Hillary Clinton and then Trump by 15 over Biden. So it's a state that has really solidified as a red state. In 2018, they fired their United States Senator, Claire McCaskill, and hired Josh Hawley. You've got now Eric Schmidt, who replaced Roy Blunt, and it really has become a red state. Six Republicans and two Democrats make up the congressional delegation, and the Democrats represent, obviously, the two urban areas, Kansas City and St. Louis. So a state that has really trended to the right. Yeah, this is no longer Dick Gephardt's Missouri. True. Still the same voters. You know, a lot of blue-collar rural voters who would have been Gephardt voters who probably opposed NAFTA or maybe belonged to a union. Some of these exurban towns that have light manufacturing, but where they've really come to the Republican Party over the years, and it's proven out by who represents that state today. Great. And with that, let's get to our bar stools with John Whitaker of Cinderblock Brewery. It's our pleasure to welcome today John Whitaker of Cinderblock Brewery in North Kansas City, a little 
really suburb of Kansas City. John, welcome to the podcast. We're honored to have you along with us today. What's going on, guys? So we're named after a cocktail, the highball, but today's going to be a very much of a beer episode because we're talking to someone that worked at a brewery, but is also an expert at beer. And you've explained to us that you have a certification of something called the Cicerone. And that was new to us. Can you explain to us and the listeners what that means? What's required to become a Cicerone beer master? I'm a certified Cicerone, so there's four levels. It's a Cicerone organization. It has four levels. There's the server, there's the cert uh, certified Cicerone, there's advanced, there's master. They just recently add the advanced. And there's maybe like, I don't know, maybe there's now 20 or so masters. But it's basically the beer equivalent to um, sommelier. The idea of it was um, as craft beer sort of became a thing, you know, about 15 or so years ago. You had all these breweries opening up, all these these craft beer bars opening up. They had, you know, bars and restaurants sort of changing their uh, drink and beverage program to sort of fit this niche. And you had a lot of people saying, oh, I know a ton about beer. I know a ton about beer, but there was really no sort of objective way to quantify it. We all know a lot about beer, especially after yeah. out of you, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you, and someone who says, I know a lot about beer, and then someone says, I don't know anything about beer. Sometimes that person could know half as much as the person that says, you know, the Socrates. You only actually know something if you figure out how little you do know. And so someone goes, okay, well, two things. Let's figure out how to sort of put an objective label on this so you can, can get an idea of how much you know. And then obviously, of course, you know, how can you, you know, monetize this sort of thing? <laughs> it's just a general, a general knowledge of beer. It's, it's brewing, it's serving, it's flavor profiles, it's history, it's food pairing, it's sort of the mechanics of it in terms of draft systems and stuff like that and cleanliness management and, you know, like beers have different sort of, ex, you know, expiration dates or brewed on dates or things like that. And so it's just the, the general, the whole general scope of beer. Kochel's actually classified, he's certified as a homer uh, after Homer Simpson when it comes to it. That's right. Do you do blind tastings to get this certification? You have to know yeah. what kind of specific hops we're talking about. I mean, um, can you break down a beer and really say where it's kind of from or where the hops are from, that sort of thing? I could give a general idea as far as geography. It's getting a little more blended now in terms of things like where hops are grown because as Europeans are sort of now taking you know, early 2000s, we started European style or continental style beers and then sort of made them our own. And now Europe is like, okay, these are more interesting than this shit we've been drinking for the past 200 years. So let's sort of bring these back <laughs> over there. So you're seeing things like German hop farms are actually growing in more American style hops to meet the needs in Europe. But there, there is a blind tasting component. The tasting component there is more like, here's a control. And then they have five other beers and one beer is not modified. And the other four have essentially been contaminated with on off flavors that could come from dirty draft lines, the bottle's too old, the bottle was in the sun too long, or a defect from the brewing process. And you have to recognize, okay, something is wrong. Here's what the issue is. Is it an issue that I can fix? Or do I just need to send this back to the manufacturer that, you know, and say, hey, your beer has acetaldehyde or acetaldehyde, which is a green apple note that you get from kind of pulling out the fermentation too quickly. Just as one example. You know, that's, that's kind of sort of what the tasty portion is like. This is outstanding. So we obviously have a real beer expert here. Tell us a bit about Cinderblock, its history, and then we'll start to get into kind of its place and its patrons. Yeah, so Cinderblock opened in 2013. Pretty standard story for a lot of breweries that opened. We had a guy that was home brewing with his buddies. He was brewing in his basement. They were sitting on Cinderblocks in their basement, and um, he made some pretty good beer. The owner still has a hand in a lot of the beers that we make. Still has a lot of say with recipes and stuff like that. So he still really knows the stuff, still very involved in the production aspect of it. He thought his beer was pretty good, you know, starts entering contests and things like that. His friends go, hey, your beer is pretty good. 
let's find some capital, start up a brewery. Uh, a lot of the original beers that he made are still uh, featured at the brewery today and are still some of our best sellers and are still, um, as someone who's been doing this for 13 years, I mean, I, I would still consider it some very good beers. Located in North Kansas City, so just north of the river in Kansas City, it's kind of a suburb. When you think suburb in Kansas City, you sort of think like the Kansas City, Kansas side, you know, the Johnson County's Overland Parks, you know, it's kind of got a little... It more feels like an older, like Chicago sort of suburb. It's like a little blue collar, like has just a much of that sort of urban is getting in there, you know, yeah, like ex-urban. Um, yeah. 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 That sort of thing. You know, if you look on the map and you put in North Kansas city, we're talking before it's very funny shape. It almost looks like it was sort of gerrymandered to be its own thing. As it was, it's somebody wanted their garbage right? made up on time back in the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As Kansas city proper, the city itself has really sort of developed since the late aughts, like 08, 09. Um, that's sort of spread into North Kansas City. You really sort of see in just now you're seeing some of that sort of same develop development as what we call the North Side or North Town. And um, luckily, we've been sort of a mainstay there since 2013. So we've had a lot of regulars. People have been coming. I mean, a number of our customers have been coming in almost since the day we've opened. We now have some competitors with some other breweries, some really good, really cool folks. There's good restaurants opening up there now. There's a huge apartment complex. I'm sure if you've ever come to the brewery, there's this massive apartment complex that just seemed to come up sort of out of nowhere across the street. And it's really becoming its own sort of thing where not quite there where you can sort of just park your car and kind of hit a spot and walk around like you can downtown, but it's slowly sort of, slowly sort of getting there and, and developing there. Some people think it's really cool. Then, you know, you, you have some of those old blue collar regulars. Change isn't their most favorite thing. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> in the world. So complaining about the new apartment. So when we interview bartenders, we have them share a signature cocktail, but this is beer week. So tell us what, what would be the signature brew that the, the brewery is really known for? Our flagship beer is going to be 100%. It's going to be our block IPA, classic West Coast style IPA. When I say West Coast, it was a style that was sort of developed on the West Coast, um, specifically like if you ever had Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, that was one of the first beers to really feature the American hops, which are distinct from American hops have, um, at least this one, you know, West Coast style hops with your grapefruit and your pine and stuff like that. Now it's 9 million hop varieties have exploded. So it's way more than just that, but it's classic West Coast. So it's going to have those grapefruit notes, those pine notes. It's going to be on the bitter side. 7.2% alcohol, 72 IBUs. IBU stands for International Bitterness Units. Kind of your cap for that is 100. So 72 is going to be on the high side. It's the staff's favorite beer. They call it a very balanced beer. I'm not necessarily a West Coast IPA guy. I have great appreciation for this beer, but I find it a bit on the bitter side, which is what, to me, what the beer is supposed to be. It's by far our best-selling beer. It'll get you there in a hurry. You know, a couple of those will get you there pretty quickly. And it's great because it's, it's such a, such a popular beer. And since we have so many regular customers there that drink it, when you get it at the brewery, it is always going to be fresh. And with, with an IPA like that, specifically a West Coast, classic West Coast IPA, fresh is the name of the game. I always tell people, treat IPAs like you do, you know, when you go out for seafood, closer to the source is better. There's nothing a brewer can do or a bartender can do to make a beer taste fresher. It is, it was rare I tapped a keg of block work that was more than two weeks old. Whereas when I was manager of other bars, if I got an IPA that was less than a month old, I was like, all right, this is a really fresh beer. To be fair, it kind of spoils you. And to our benefit, it kind of spoils our guests because you go around town and it's just really going to taste block on something where it's going to taste as good as it does from the source. I like this term international bitterness units. I wonder what Putin's score would be, Rob. What do you think? <laughs> probably, be, uh, probably be pretty high. Theorize you can only actually taste up to a hundred. So, you know, if it's, he might, he might be like in the three or 400, but you can really only taste the hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scale. 
Yeah. The dog whistle, you can't hear it after a certain point. There you, think, so, there you go. Okay. Oh, there you go. There you go. Dog whistle IPA. Okay. Huh? <laughs> dog. Well, l- listen. Let's just start a brew pub. You know, you can you can bring your ideas, and I'll bring mine. So you got a bunch of TVs. You got a kind of a brew pub menu, sandwiches, wings, that sort of thing. What uh, what else going on? Uh, there? So we don't do our own food. Way back in the days, actually, before I worked there, we had a little bit of a uh, a small kitchen. We have we haven't had that for a couple of years. Uh, definitely since COVID. So like a lot of breweries, you can bring in literally whatever you want like literally whatever you want. I mean, there's people that bring in pizzas. There's people that plug in crock pots, you know, stuff like that. We also have a barbecue joint. F325 Barbecue has just opened up next door. And we do have a kiosk in the brewery that allows you to order barbecue. And we essentially share a fence and we basically open the door <laughs> in the fence. Good neighbors. Over the fence. Good neighbors. They will, they will walk your barbecue right to you. So and right to your table from the restaurant. So that's a pretty new thing. It's been a little less than a year that's been going on. That's a pretty fun new thing that we have. TV situation, we do have a handful of TVs. It's not a place that, you know, we're going to say, hey, come here for the big game. It, it, it does have that neighborhood public house feel. I mean, when people do come there, they come in for conversation, talk to one another. They come in to meet people. They come in to chat with the staff a lot. It has a very neighborhood vibe to it, for sure. Um, if there's a big game, 100% it's going to be on the TV. But I'm also just as likely if there's nothing great on, I might... So the, the, the three TVs in the main area, I'll, I'll have two on a game and then the other one I'll put on, you know, A&E or AMC always has like Star Wars or Indiana Jones or Karate Kid, which are great. Another good one. And, I, and it's hard to find because NBC Sports isn't a thing anymore. But you know what? Like old blue collar dudes love is the Mecham, the Mecham auctions. You know, the auto auctions, <laughs> right? So those those old cars roll through there, and you go, "Oh man, my dad had one of those, or my neighbor had one of those," and they guess like they love that stuff. And then, and we have a we have a large event space that we rent out for events, but then you know, during normal business hours, there's no events. It's open, and there's a big projector in there that we'll put on a big TV in there that we'll put on sports. So yeah, we 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 stay aware, stay in touch with the sports, but it's not a focus of what we do. Do you ever have politics on your TVs? We were talking um, to Jamie Jackson a while back and she was saying that she liked to put game shows on their TV at uh, LP Street Food, but occasionally for big events You'd see maybe news or or if there's a big story happening. Any politics ever go on the TV? I, and and what kind of was, fight does that start? If it was a major story, I'd put it on there. But if it was up to me, I mean, where I worked at Cinderblock, I had about 11 years bar management, and I would, unless it was specifically came down from above that, hey, you're okay to put this on today. I absolutely 100%. I, I try to keep myself apolitical. I mean, I know that's that's an ideal that I don't really meet. But if you're up to me, I don't keep it on. It's not a place where you find a lot of sort of political animosity at the bar or among customers. And I, I like to sort of keep it that way. I mean, we do have some regulars that interact. And I know for a fact their politics are completely separate from one another, like aggressively separate from one another. <laughs> they get along and things are civil and things are friendly and things are polite. And you hey, what's going on, man? How's it going? Shaking hand. How's everything and i like keeping it that way because it keeps sort of a great vibe in the bar so it's it's not a whole lot of politics i would say gets on gets on the tv and i really do i personally do what i can to avoid it now obviously you come in there you're you are more than welcome to talk about what you want to talk about you're off of work you're having a beer you want to vent about things go for it but i generally keep myself and keep the business disengaged as much as possible so john when you would hear those issues come up you talk about it I'm a diverse group of regulars that would discuss politics, different points of view. You know, over the last few years, 
or even more of more recent time, what what typically are the topic that you would would overhear? I started there early 2021, so that was still right in the meat of COVID. So the first six to nine months I was there, I mean, that pretty much was every, I mean, it was a conversation you had 500 times a day and it got really I think that's what made me even more burnout and less likely to talk about it, to be completely honest with you. You know, no matter whose fault it was, it was either someone's doing enough, someone's not doing, you know, someone's not doing enough, someone's doing too much. We had somebody call in one time and say, hey, do you guys require masks or do you guys like freedom? And I'm just like, <laughs> it's like well, the the city requires masks and, and I like our job and we enjoy making money and we enjoy our liquor license and being open up, you know, being able to operate as a business. So as long as the, the city or the county requires us to wear masks, then we're going to have to unfortunately enforce that. That would be the extent of it. Um, you know, you hear conversations about, you know, we had a couple of guys that would come in and they would say, this is woke, that is woke, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the military is woke now. And then you have the exact, you know, the exact opposite other side where it was literally, you know, pull up your phone and say, oh, look what look what weird thing Trump said today, or look what weird thing Trump said yesterday, or look what weird thing he did. Yeah, that was that was the extent of it. Now I think about it, I'm pretty proud of myself with how much I kept myself disengaged. I kept myself from jumping in there. So as we were talking before in the intro, Missouri's become a pretty red state, which oh, yeah. typically means that, uh, you know, for the COVID regime, a little less hawkish, a little more open and free, but you're in a city an urban area. So a lot of times it's the local leadership that matters more. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, you know, the mayor of Kansas City, how much you were locked down? Were there places nearby that weren't because, you know, because they were in a, in a little redder jurisdiction or how did that work? How did yeah. politics play out there? Absolutely. So like, like I said before, if you look at sort of how the lines are drawn with North Kansas City versus Kansas City and other, other spots like Liberty and Gladstone and things like that, we had people that lived five minutes away from the brewery that didn't have a mask mandate and they showed up to us and were like, Hey guys, sorry. You know, and I was very, I was, I never tried to be like, yeah. so I'll put your mask on right now. Like, Hey guys, just a heads up mask mandate still applies. So we'd really appreciate it when you ordered just to wear one, you sit at your table, do what you got to do. They would be confused. They go, I, I live half a mile away or I live a mile away. They're like, I, I go, I know that's the lines of the lines. They would sort of lay into, if you like the Twitters, um, the mayor of Kansas City, for, for better or for worse, Quentin Lucas is very vocal on Twitter, um, very active, I should say, on Twitter, gets his hands on a lot of stuff. Said some good things and some people that, you know, them st some stuff that probably isn't so good. I would say in our bar, he wasn't probably the most loved human being on the planet. You could actually find him there every once in a while having a beer with the North Kansas City mayor, brought his bodyguards with him and everything. He drew a lot of the ire in terms of the COVID uh over restrictions and stuff like that because they, they they said you know he has the power to do it and he's just going along you know with what the mainstream media is saying and just going along with left policies and stuff like that and he's not he's not really thinking on his own which is great for us because then we can just pass the buck <laughs> right so, right when that here all those things come yeah up. you know what's interesting is we have these discussions around the country when it comes to particularly covid but even other issues is how much it was the local politicians yeah. that people really were focused on as opposed to necessarily statewide. But just just to zoom up the statewide real quick, who would you say is the most well-known, not necessarily liked or disliked, but just most well-known statewide politician in Missouri? I mean, I'd say probably Governor Parsons. Yeah. Okay. And I would say, I would say he's the guy you saw. He's the guy you saw a lot. Yeah. That's, he's the guy I was talked about. Let me think. Yeah. Well, well, and Governor Parsons, just because he's probably not very well known at all outside Missouri, but it's kind of an interesting oh, absolutely. path. He, yeah. What a county sheriff, state legislator, lieutenant governor. 
became governor through circumstances when Governor oh, Greitens had to resign, which is a whole yeah. other podcast of tale. But he just yes. got reelected. Governor Parsons just got yes. reelected and fairly it, easily. If I yeah, so, so so fairly popular. What about your U.S. senators? I mean, Josh Hawley's kind of known nationally. What's what's the vibe on him? I would say Josh Hawley, I don't hear a lot in terms of, it's a red state, so obviously he has plenty of support. I hear when I'm back home in St. Louis, I hear more about him in St. Louis, I would say, than yeah. I am in Kansas City. Um, in Kansas City, the people I was around, if it was Josh Hawley, it was, you know, I, I saw plenty of Josh Hawley sucks t-shirts, and there was a local, <laughs> yeah, I, I saw definitely way more negative about Josh Hawley. I mean, Josh Hawley was, now I think about it, maybe more well-known than Parsons, I think about it, but it, it was all, it was almost always in a negative manner he was spoken of. There was a uh, beer bar in town that was unabashedly politically uh, active, a very popular beer bar, one of the most popular beer bars in town, and they uh, hosted a Josh a Josh Hawley fun run, like a 5K, and I, I can't top of my head remember the 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 benefit what charity that did happen to benefit but um i know they raised a pretty fair share of money and and it had a big cartoon picture of josh holly in his pose like the big old big old josh holly head they had t-shirts and everything so like it uh they're gonna do it again next year for sure for our listeners this is a poke at the josh holly kind of prancing running out of the u.s capitol on january 6th which happened i don't know maybe an hour after the josh holly fist pump yeah. salute to the uh, crowd that was assembling on the grounds of the capitol so i'm assuming the proceeds are going to go to the most left wing it cause is possible right yeah they're good causes they go to but there's i i feel like i don't want to speak for them but i definitely feel like there is a uh specificity to who they pick definitely a reason as to why they pick who they pick to give it a little more of a Shape panache, yeah. The t shirts for our listeners likely come from Reagan t shirts, which is a franchise located in Kansas City but started in my hometown of Des Moines, Iowa. So, uh, oh wow, I've seen those t shirts around. Well, yeah. Reagan does some great Kansas City content, they have a store, I think, in Kansas City now. They do, yeah. Pat is my Mahomey, is my uh. <laughs> Every Kansas City one. The funny thing about this business is I remember when I was managing, I, I met the GM there and I go, how do you guys get away? Like you guys are so aggressively, I'm like never in a million years. I don't know any business that I could get away doing, especially a bar. I get away. He's just like, somehow we're just in the, just in the right neighborhood. We have just the right clientele that we already have sort of set as our base. But I was just like, it would mortify, it would mortify me any place I've ever worked. If I would have done something like that, they would have been like, what in God's name do you think you're doing here? And it works for that. That's interesting. Yeah. We should dig into that on, you know, with some of these bartenders, Rob, that we're going to be talking to, because there's certainly a permission structure going on here with the clientele to be able to say and do things that, you know, some bars wouldn't be comfortable with, other bars would. So you're sitting there in a bar that it's got people coming from sort of both sides of the aisle, but oh, they yeah. come in there and, and kind of turn down the temperature. In our pre-interview, you said that bartenders can hear everything that's going on Absolutely. in the bar. Is that true? Because I'm I'm going to have to change some of my bar behavior maybe because I, I, I don't know. It's about anything. time. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially when it's funny, I, I'm more likely to ask you to repeat what you're saying if I'm looking right at you. That once you turn around, you got to figure there's there's generally just a hard wall of wood, tile, sheet metal, something behind those beer taps and you're pouring and it just the sound just bounces right off there. So I've heard you name it and it's people talking in a conversational tone, but you'll, you're you pouring a beard and someone will talk and then you'll grab another glass. You go, OK, here's your IPA. What do you want? And they go, how'd you know I ordered an IPA? And they go, I, I heard. I heard you say that's what you wanted. And I've also heard maybe some uh, 
And it's, it's always a late middle-aged couple. Let's just say a few drinks into their night or maybe dinner plus a few drinks, maybe having a frank discussion about what they're going to engage in once those drinks are finished. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and you turn around with sort of a smirk on your face and you go, you heard that? And they go, yeah, I heard everything you guys said. <laughs> maybe it's time to get out of here. Codgel, you got to be careful. About yeah, you just got to watch what you yeah. said. I've, I've heard some uncomfortable conversations among some, uh, I mean, good good for them, that, you know, 30 years of marriage going strong, but uh, I, I don't need to hear it. Powered by West Coast IPA. John, we've been living through a bit of inflation here this last year or so. It's been on people's minds and a lot of bars kind of hearing from their patrons about, you know, costs going up. You know, you're in a brew pub, so it's maybe a little bit different pricing structure than, you know, a craft cocktail bar or a wine bar. You ever hear from your customers about prices going up? Uh, are they aware of it? Are they sensitive to it? Are they complaining about it? What, is, what are you hearing? I've I've worked in the industry of, for 13 years. I've worked in good and bad times, and I, I never feel like this had too much of an effect in terms of business. We did a, a slight price adjustment maybe six to nine months ago. And honestly, it, was, it wasn't it was even inflation related. It was something that needed to be done, period, because the prices were just, were simply too low. People mentioned it and they go, oh, is that more expensive? And I go, yeah. And they go, okay. That was simply the end of it. You know, I worked Mondays there. You know, when I work Mondays, it's it's the heavy regular day. You know, we have a $3 special we had to raise to $4 where we have our, our year round beers or four dollars the same people came in at the same time drank the same thing you know everything was pretty much the same so i, I don't want to say our industry is uh, immune to that because in the back of the house you know your your, your margins are changing as you know prices mm-hmm. go up on logistics to get grain there and hops there ingredients and all that sort of stuff so certainly like they they're, they're definitely feeling a squeeze but on the consumer end i haven't seen too much of a complaint to be honest with you yeah that's a follow-up to that any supply chain issues for you we've kind of heard a little bit about that Getting stuff on time, was that ever a, an issue throughout this you know, COVID period? I don't work too much in production, but when I went in there, I asked, because I, I did know some breweries that had major issues, specifically with canning. Canning was the biggest thing. If we ever had production issues, I can't think it was too much to do with supply chain. I don't I don't remember us too many instances of us being out of something for a considerable amount of time or say, hey, we're not going to have this for another month. A lot of these breweries, even someone like us who is, in the grand scheme of things, a smaller brewery in, in the craft beer scene in Kansas City, we're actually one of the bigger breweries. You have these con- these very long-term contracts. Once you're locked into those, that really helps keep you safe from a lot of that stuff. But there absolutely 100% were a lot of breweries that felt the crunch in terms of an aluminum shortage of can- uh, with cans. Because what happened was during COVID lockdown, all these bars were closing. So breweries stopped putting their beers in the kegs. They went all retail. And so the demand, the demand for cans went through the roof. And if yeah. you were the small guy, you weren't locked into you weren't locked into the two, three, four, five year contract and buy any future yeah. futures or anything like that. You you were screwed. I I, I literally remember I, I was a local brewery. I was actually in St. Louis and I was drinking one of their beers and I was I started playing with the label and it was a label from another brewery in Manhattan, Kansas that had sold them some uh some surplus. It wasn't a Budweiser, was it? It was not a Budweiser. Okay, it was good. not a Budweiser. Another local brewery. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no. No, it was a small it was a small brewery that needed some help and yeah, they had a brewery had just gone out of business and had a bunch of supply left over and they Yes, they probably just scrambled and tried to be resourceful and found what they could find. So I was just like, well, it's a brown ale. And I'm like, Shh. like, oh, no, it's your strawberry margarita sour underneath. <laughs> you know, it's going to be discouraged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, John, you've alluded to your patrons at, at times, but let's focus on them just a little bit more. Just quickly tell us what the regulars look like. We get a sense maybe it's a little bit of an older crowd, but what do they do for a living? And 
How are they feeling maybe economically these days? You know, it's an older crowd, so they're complaining about 401ks and stuff like that. And you, you hear them, oh, my, you know, my retirement fund dropped 10% today. Yeah, the market you know, matters to them, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, they would definitely pay attention to that. A fairly diverse crowd. It's it's a hair a hair more blue collar. You know, people manufacturing. We have a big group of regulars comes in that work for the city as well. A lot of ex military. I would say you know our Monday crowd was was our regulars, and it was late forties, early fifties, into their sixties for sure. Definitely a bit of an older crowd. Absolutely. On the weekends, they get a little bit younger, but not all that young. I mean, it's not a. Pl- I mean, you're, you're checking IDs, but it's not exactly a place where you have to check too many IDs. Yeah, you're just flattering women for tips when you're checking those. <laughs> yeah, IDs. At that at that point, yeah, that oh, bless your heart, or, you know, one of those things. <laughs> I would say if there was discussion, it was definitely keeping an eye on the market, keeping an eye on what they had in the bank and what they had what they had for themselves, when you know, in, in 10, 15 years when they uh, decided to leave their jobs. No, obviously it's informal in your intuition, but what was the percentage Trump versus Biden? Do you think? Probably with your regulars. Regulars that probably still lean towards Biden, but way, 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 way less than the other bars that I've ever worked at, for sure. You know, maybe 60, 40 Biden. That, that is a 100%, 100% guess. The people that were on the Trump side were very, I wouldn't say very vocal, but it was very clear that they were on the Trump side. The generally those who are more on the soft spoken side are going to be on the Biden side, for sure. They, they tend not to speak up nearly as much, but, you know, there's 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 a mega hat here and there. So dragging it back to politics even more here, you guys switched in Missouri from presidential primary to a presidential caucus, which is kind of unusual. I think the migration has been more away from caucuses and towards primaries. That just happened, was it just this year or maybe last year that law was passed? Is anybody aware of that? Does anyone know about that? Talk about that in your bar? Um, I just learned about it two minutes <laughs> ago. So, <laughs> no, so no, that, not a topic no, of the conversation. 100% not a topic of conversation. It's like I said, people that came in, they had their loud and proud, you know, some, some were kind of loud and proud on the Trump side. But in terms of what was actually vocalized there, it was definitely, it had sort of that, uh, I guess the best example I have of this is we have a father and son that come in quite a bit. They come in, they're friendly, they get their beer, they tip, they're sweet and polite to me and they're sweet and polite to everybody else. Let's just say they weren't big fans of the mask situation. They said, we're very, very anti-mask. So the reason we haven't come here in the last three months is because of the mask mandate. And we like you guys and we like you. And we, anywhere else we go, like, he goes, we're ready for a fight. If they walk into a Target or a Hy-Vee or a gro- you know, grocery store or whatever, they go, mm-hmm. we're going in and we're going to stand our ground. And they go, we don't want to be the assholes here. So out of respect, so to speak, they go, we don't come in here because we don't want to have, like, we're not going to wear a mask, but we also don't want to have that fight with you. And I was like, I mean, I guess thanks for that. Not right. start, but, yeah. start, not starting shit, but it was them saying, hey, we are vehemently anti-aggressively against this. Well, we don't want to talk about it with you, so we're just not going to show up. That was an interesting conversation, and I think that's a pretty good general descriptor of a lot of our clientele, where it's, if you ask them, they'll let, they'll let you know 100%, but they rarely, they rarely bring it up outside of their own little circle that they're in at their, at their table. It's really, it's really interesting. It would be interesting to see what that does with participation in the caucus. Obviously, a lot of fewer people participate in a caucus because you got to show up on a specific time at a specific location as opposed to voting absentee and all that. And you guys have a late primary. August 6th is your primary date next year, but you'll obviously have to do caucuses before that. So as a guy who's worked on a bunch of presidential campaigns, it's frustrating because you don't even have a date set yet. So if I'm trying to figure (laughs) out how how to win an election... In Missouri, the parties set the date, and we don't even know when they are. And even more frustrating, it would seem that no one in Missouri cares, David. 
<laughs> exactly. Fair yeah. enough. I'm a lawyer voter. Yeah. And it just, just to clarify, I'm, I'm not trying to sort of tiptoe around the political issue or whatever here, but I mean, it's just the more that I think about it, the more, like I said, the people kind of spoke about things in very, very hushed tones. I also think the place it's, we have so many people that have been coming there such a long time. It's kind of a don't shit where you eat sort of thing. They're just like, this is a very congenial place. We get along with everybody. I want to keep it that way. And the same, the same that goes to the people on the left as well. Um, the, the two gentlemen I was talking about, they would sometimes sit and join a table of people. I should you not, one of the guys at this table was this dude in his 60s or early 70s who was this hippie who would protest Honeywell once a week. And sometimes he'd get arrested because they, you know, they developed nuclear <laughs> weapons. And the guy's very left. And they would sit down and have a beer and have a conversation together. But it would yeah. sort of leave that little circle. The brewery's the place to come be happy. Yeah. Have a community. I'd actually, that's yeah. a, those are great examples of that. And those two guys would leave and I'd come and clear the table and chat them up. And they go, and the, the, the two older guys that were definitely way more left leaning were going, I think, like, I think we're, I think we're making some inroads. I think we're Okay. So a fun exercise we like to do with our bartenders is when it's cocktails, we ask them to make a fictional cocktail for us based upon a political character. But this is a beer episode. So we've asked you to let us know if there was a beer named after Trump on tap, or if there was a beer named after Biden on tap, what would those beers be and why? So we release a beer, it's still out right now, called uh, Il Padron. It's a, it's a playoff pilsner that we make for the Chiefs. You know, Padron, you know, Padre Master, Chiefs, kind of it kind of fits the same. And, and you know, an Italian-style Italian pilsner, probably we talked to as a Czech or German-style beer, leans sort of on the bitter side. It's it's one of the more bitter German <laughs> beers you can get. An Italian pilsner still has a hair of that bitterness, but it's more heavily dry hopped. And when, when, when I say dry hop is you're adding the hops way late in the process. And instead of extracting bitterness from the hops, you're, you're extracting sort of some floral notes, some fruit flavors, a lot of aroma and things like that. It's a little more easy drinker, pleasant. And Padron's funny because I'm thinking Italian, you know, and so I'm thinking like Donald Trump, the Don, you know, kind of like this sort of mafia uh-huh. boss. And then we we're talking before when I you think mafia bosses, you're watching like the Godfather, you're watching like Goodfellas, you know, the classics like that. And you're like, oh man, and they have all these words of wisdom and they're so wise and they're so experienced. But then you think about it, you're going, okay, these guys clearly are uneducated. Or if they are, they say they're, they're lying about it. And you're going, well, how did they get to this position of power? And you're going, you kind of look into their history. You're just like, clearly you have the street smarts. Clearly, you know some things. Clearly, clearly you know how to navigate certain situations and you know how to get, you know, how to get things done. But you got to where you got. It may not be the most um, honest of circumstances, let's just say, the most pure circumstances (laughs) that put you into the position of power that you're in, you know, so I'm thinking, yeah, the Italian, Il Il Padron, Don, Mafia boss sort of thing. I think that, uh, Someone with a lot of power and well done. Yeah, like, like how'd you how how'd you really you see him talk and you kind of really break it down? And you're like, well, how'd you really get to where you are? Because yeah, I, I don't know if this is this isn't a complete meritocracy, you know. And what about the Biden? Biden, I'm going to go with our classic, the Black IPA. You know, been a beer since the day we've opened the West Coast IPA. It's kind of one of the OG uh, craft beer styles to this day. I think it pretty much defines what craft beer is in terms of our love of hops and that aggressive sort of flavor profile. And kind of like Biden, it was something that was really popular and everybody had one and it was always doing its thing up until about 2017, 2018. And then kind of that aggressive bitterness went away to something a little more balanced, a little more juicy, a little more fruity. Ours is still really popular, and in the last couple of years, you're kind of sort of seeing that style come out again, and you're just like, oh, people are still drinking this. This is still around. Like, holy crap. Like, like, how long has this been? How long have you guys, how long have you guys been making this beer? And you're like, yeah, I've been making it for like eight, nine years now. And you're like, oh, she, or Jesus Christ, I thought this guy was done. I thought, I thought this guy died. 
like, so Joe uh, Biden, yeah, still on tap. Yeah, it was a thing, and then it wasn't a thing, and then it came a thing, and you're like, oh, this is still a thing? This guy's still around? Okay, cool. I mean, yeah, sure, I guess I'll take one. You know exactly what you're going to get, I guess. For, be- for better or for worse, it's a safety bet. After 50 years, Scranton is still around, still around, still swinging. <laughs> I know that's how a lot of our regulars order it. They'll uh, they'll come in, they'll try something new, and they'll go, okay, this is all right, and then they'll go, you know what, just give me a block, I know exactly what I'm going to get. And go, okay, fair enough. Those are good, John. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for telling us about Cinderblock and North Kansas City and kind of what's going on in the bar there. We really appreciate you coming on. This is the beer episode, so I learned a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is our been first a, a Cicerone. Our first Cicerone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Happy to do it. Had a good time chatting, and uh, yeah, always always happy to talk about beer for sure. So, Cottrell, you're the resident Midwesterner. You spent a lot of time in Kansas City. What'd you think of our visit there? Learn anything? Yeah, I love that we did a beer episode this week. Uh, Kansas City is a great city. It hosts the Big 12 basketball tournament. You got the home of the Super Bowl champions and Patrick Mahomes. And it's a great city in a state that's become increasingly red over the years. I like, you know, what John had to say about the way they sort of negotiate their politics in the bar. It's clearly there. He hears it, but it's it's kept at a at a low boil and pretty civil. So I thought that was a yeah, was a good observation. Consistent that. with what we find, people go to their watering holes for fellowship and peace, conversation, but doesn't seem like they really go to fight. That's it for this episode of Highball Politics. Thank you for giving us a shot, pun intended. And please join us next week as we pull up a bar stool in another politically and culturally important state. Interview a bartender there and find out what the locals were drinking and saying. Until then, cheers. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Kochel and me, Rob Stetsman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag HighballPodcast. And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. And please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.